So you don't have to be nervous among around them. It's like they're your, think of them as a, a potential fan club. Like they're your little fan club and they're there to see you and you're the star of the show and you get to lead the conversation, not the other way around. But I think often we feel like, oh, I'll just stand here and someone will come up to me and then I'll see what they ask me. Hello and welcome to Art Juice. This is honest, generous and humorous conversations that will feed your creative soul and get you thinking with me, Alice Sheridan. And me, Louise Fletcher. <laughs> can I just say, <laughs> can I just say, I want to give us both a giant pat on the back for even being here. I've got a horrible cold and I feel like death. You have had a horrible week. And you don't feel that great. And yet here we are showing up and doing something which nobody would smack us. Nobody would fire us if we didn't do. But we've done it anyway. So I'm proud of us. Let's just give ourselves a pat on the back for that, first of all. Yeah, we nearly postponed it. We were nearly like, we'll do this later. And then we said, actually, does it? We said, does it matter? We'll just turn up and say we've had a bit of a pants week. So there we go. We've had a bit of a pants week. But... For Americans, by the way, I remember when I was living in America and I read something from the UK and it said pants. And I was like, what on earth is that? I did, I, I couldn't understand the context of pants. Yeah. Pants means rubbish, everybody in other countries. <laughs> I don't know where it came from as a kind of slang word for not good thing. Yeah, because it's not even, pant, you know, even once you get past pants is not trousers, pants is underwear. Even then, really, it's not really something you'd say. It's like, but yeah, I quite like it. I've had a pants week. Yeah, <laughs> it just makes it feel a little bit more silly, rubbish, rather than yes. It's not yeah. as depressing a word for for something negative. That's why I like it. it feels a what, bit rather funny. than saying bloody awful week and I'm exhausted. Yeah, <laughs> pants feels nice. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we're here. There you go. We're having a giggle. Um, so apart from that, then we're going to be talking a little bit about words, words that we use with and around our art and um, partly inspired by a, a question, but also by um, something that, that is my what's inspired this week. So maybe we'll bring that into the conversation a little bit earlier. But before we get to that, then, do you want to tell us what you've been working on this week? Um, it's been a bit bitty as it often is when you've got to the end of a series of work so bit of varnishing bit of ordering frames and sadly an awful lot of US tax filing in stuff because I have to file taxes in America as well as here Um, and I have to file taxes this year for three different businesses The the business I've closed down that I had with my husband that still had a few months in the year my Uh, teaching business and my art business and my teaching business is great because I have a bookkeeper and online systems and I say can I have a report for the calendar year and she sends it to me and that's it done boom but uh, my own my own record keeping for my art business is appalling so I had to do that and the blue sky record keeping is appalling that's the other business so I've been doing that and then the worst part is you log on to this portal where you upload all your P&L information for the businesses. So, right, I've done everything. I'm uploading. And then there are all these questionnaires to fill out, 
for example, never, never become a US citizen, people, if you don't plan to stay living there, because you have to report what's the highest amount of money that you had in a foreign bank account during that calendar year. Well, that's not easy information to get because you have to go into the bank account and then scroll through looking at the balances on each month to find out whatever the highest balance was. And then you have to report that. And so does the bank and they have to uh, tie in, otherwise you're in trouble. So you have to get it right. So there's all this stuff. And so I've been wading my way through that. And I got really depressed when I logged on and saw all the forms I had to fill out. So I've set Mm -hmm. myself a target that each day I'm going to do a little bit. And then by the end of two weeks, I'll have done everything. So I don't know whether all that stuff is getting worse I mean I think it's a bit like that you know if you travel or anything used to be that when you traveled you would go to the estate agent and you would tell them where you wanted to go and they did all the work for you yeah now you have to it's you have to do so much I mean even all this pre-covid hoo-ha you end up having to do it all yourself everything is so much online I know and all this is to prevent it's all all these tax things, like all tax things in all countries, they're to prevent rich people from evading things. Mm. So this reporting the, it, the income you've got in a foreign bank, I presume it means it's to stop people from hiding money in foreign banks. But of course, if you're rich enough to be hiding a lot of money in foreign banks, you're also rich enough to pay people to do it for you in a way that it's slightly legal and you get away with it anyway. Mm. It all falls on ordinary people who have to do all this extra mm. stuff. So if I felt like it was solving the problem of billionaires hiding their money, I'd feel better about it. But I don't think it is. I think it's just more paperwork for me. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I've had a little bit. I've had a Terrible. little bit. What about you? Well, a little bit of that kind of stuff, too, because, yeah, like like you say, for my teaching thing, then we use a, an accounting system called Zero and just just things in there. I'm just trying to work out because I... Things in there. <laughs> things in there I you you know what I'm like I quite like to just know how it works at least when I get in to have a look at it so I'm just trying to set up for things that I have you know regular payments going out for you know there are rules set up for that so you just kind of approve it but if there's something new I need to make a new rule for it so it's just like oh how does that work I just have to do it and I feel like I've just got to do it really really carefully because I don't really understand it I don't want to fuck it up Uh, and in the, the past between us I have I went oh bookkeeper off you go and you do that and that's the difference between us I, I, I'm quite happy to never know how this works it is it is yeah that is on my list of things to do is to find somebody who can do all of that but actually normally when it's all done and set up it doesn't take me that long it only takes me about 40 minutes once a month so it's not really worth it but it's just like you say when it when it when it's like oh that really has to be done this week it's just one of those things that you go yeah <laughs> I don't really want to do that um so not much arting then for either of us not not a huge amount of arting I've been working on smaller things um which I'm quite enjoying but still also interested just really interested this week in the way that we bring habits into our art making and when I mean say habits I mean just the way we do things and this disconnect between the way we might want to do things and the way we actually do it when we sit down to make art and there's just always this 
uncomfortable disconnect often between until one catches up with the other and it's quite interesting working on smaller things in a way should be a little bit easier but it isn't always um and yet I'm feeling at the moment like I don't have the energy to start anything on a really big scale I kind of feel like I I could just go and get started but I just haven't felt like that about starting anything big big I think we know when we feel like Mm. when we feel ready for the thing and what I find I don't know if you're the same but if I do try and push it before I'm ready doesn't work nothing works no best to just wait until you feel but then suddenly you feel like oh today I really feel like tackling that big thing and then you feel like it oh small things small things are sometimes my sticking point because I find them more difficult so anything I find more difficult I postpone for another day yeah but then sometimes it's just oh yeah I feel like that now and then it'll flow really easily and getting used to that I'm always talking about this in my group to people that you've got to get used to following what you feel like doing because that's not okay in any other area of our life so it takes some practice in being okay with it you can't go into work and say I don't really feel like doing my job today. So what I feel like doing is putting my feet up and having a sandwich and looking at the internet all day and then going home, if that's okay with you. People go, no. (laughs) Or, you know, you're bringing up kids. Yeah, I don't really feel like sending them to school today, so I'm just not going to bother. There's nothing in our lives where we get to just, I don't think, I can't think of anything else, where you, you your job is to do the thing that feels the best thing to you at that moment. And so it's hard for us to train ourselves to go, yeah, actually, today I don't feel like painting at all. So I'm not going to. Yeah, it, that's one element of it. I suppose I'm talking more about, regardless of maybe whether you feel like it or not, it's just, it's still fascinating to me how we all just, we just have an inherent natural way of doing things. And I think often there's a sort of dissatisfaction with that. And even when you're aware of that or thinking about things or learning about the way that you're making marks or choosing colours, or there's still often just this gap between, well, what I really want to do is A, but what keeps coming out is B. Huh, huh. (laughs) (laughs) yeah how does that kind of happen then and again I think I mean I don't think you can force it too early other than just start being aware of all right well what why did this happen and how can you just modify it at this point again and I I think it's I think just approaching it with curiosity is the only way really um but like you can see those two on the floor behind me and that that bluey one I really love that but I do also feel that it's a little bit like a painting that I might have done two years ago it's funny isn't it you know so many people say I want my style I want to find my style if only I had my style and then they would look at you and say oh she has a very clear style I want that and you feel like that's habits now and I mm-hmm. want so we're never satisfied are we really mm-hmm. <laughs> never no have. No, we never are. But it was lovely. We were working in, we have these kind of weird random um, co-create sessions as part of the Connected Artists Club, which are always, always fun and unpredictable and they're not teaching based and they always have random stuff. And we said this week, actually, we all felt like we'd done a good workout because 
giggling apparently makes as, burns as many exercises as going for a run not quite sure Ooh, that <laughs> yeah I'm not entirely sure that that can possibly be true, but be true we certainly tested it out but just this really nice we had we ended up having a discussion with somebody who was taking um a poetry writing workshop and we were she's she was saying that it was really interesting that there was this huge crossover between writing poetry and who else wrote poetry and we went no 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 she said it's a similar crossover just this idea of you know putting in the bones and then editing and then tweaking and taking things out and feeling is this really the way that I want to be saying this or or exploring this you know there's a lot of similarities in that and we've talked about that about writing before but this really nice phrase came out of it of finding a balance between mystery and anchoring the words so that for your audience there was a sense of discovering something new and this part of anchoring so that there was something that was relatable. And as a phrase that just sort of came up, I just thought, oh, I really love that idea, mystery and anchoring. I love that idea. I know. Because the thing I I wish I'd known that when I wrote my book, because I tried to say (laughs) in the book that the thing I loved about Ted Hughes's poetry was I always felt at simultaneously that I don't understand what he's saying and I completely understand what he's saying. Yeah, so that's because it's anchored in some way and then it goes off into the realms of mystery. But it feels it's just so fascinating to think I totally get what you mean on this level. But when I read the words, I'm not sure yeah. how you've got me to feel that. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's exactly what we're often looking for in paintings yeah, as well. Yeah, so you know, true. you want to have a sense of or I'm always looking for. And like I've said before, one of my criteria is looking at a painting and feeling, how did you do that? Like when I get to a stage where I look at a painting and I think, how did I do that? Mm. You know, that's one of the things for me that tells me that it's done because you've created something that is not predictable. You know, I I, I couldn't do it again in that way, even though I'm just saying that feels like a painting that I do, you know, but I look at it and I think, well, if I was starting, like I couldn't copy it now. So yeah. it's a thing that comes out, but it, but it is from this sense of, um well, mystery there isn't another word for it is there but I've always used the secondary word as as structure but it's it's not always about structure anchoring is much better so I was kind of like oh you know that yeah, that's been that. a little like oh that's been a good point in my week really enjoyed that one so that then led us on to um you know we talked about louise said there was a question from somebody in her group which you're going to tell us about um okay so that was the starting point and also i watched a film yesterday which somebody commented on and i thought that sounds good and as i said i was having a bit of an off day yesterday and i thought right i'm going to sit and watch something nice um not a grim grey northern drama and it's called Words and Pictures 2020 it's got Clive Owen in and Juliette Binoche who I think is the most beautiful woman on the planet um just you know I could just look at her all day every day she's just heavenly so I was you know I'm like yeah I'm up for that totally um but the film is about it's a sort of competition between an art teacher and an English teacher about which is more powerful words or pictures and it is just 
it's just full of the and there's there's a playfulness in it and a competitiveness in it um but there are so many parts that I just thought were really nice so they're talking about poetry um you know one of the comments was a poem doesn't need a picture if you can capture a poem with a picture there's no need for the poem and the same is true what's that quote about if I could say it in words there would be no need for the painting so yeah. you know it goes both ways, doesn't it? Yeah. So there's this kind of playoff between the two of them. And I love this little quote that came up later. She says, I've been trying so hard to paint what I see. And now I'm learning to see what I can paint. That excites me. Yeah. Thought, oh, that's really good. Yeah. That's really good. And she's got this. It's quite interesting, though, because you look at it. And in one sense, the studio that she's in is quite realistic. Like it hasn't been prettied up. It's kind of quite, you know, messy. And it's OK. It's a fantastic, great big space. But she goes from making one kind of work. And then at some point, you know, that video or those pictures you see on Instagram where somebody has a paintbrush that's like the, the size of a human yeah and she has this entire pulley system to manipulate this brush around and I'm thinking yeah you don't just get that overnight no (laughs) (laughs) so there's a bit of it that's realistic and a bit of it that's like that's quite a jump but yeah it's 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 a nice feeling film so I would recommend that so that would be lovely and then you came with a question and they all tied together they kind of relate because yesterday in our Q&A session Amanda asked us uh, to talk, asked me to talk about speaking about your work. So we had done some stuff in my group about writing about work, but she said, what about speaking about work when you're in an exhibition, when you're in open studios, when she finds it difficult, and obviously lots of other people do, to express, particularly she paints fairly abstractly with a landscape basis. But how do you kind of gain the confidence to talk about your work? What kind of things is it okay to say? And so I gave my answer to them last night, but I thought, oh, what a good topic. I don't think we've covered anything like that in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, a top, because we've, we've almost, you, you started to do it in the in opening bit when you were coming up with words for what you've wanted your work to be. We struggle with it sometimes. We struggle to find the words. And I just thought it'd be a good topic for discussion and maybe help Amanda and some other people at the same time. I think there are, Uh, different parts of it I think there are different reasons for I think there's talking about your work so that you understand it and you get closer to what you're doing and I think often when we write about work we don't necessarily know who's going to be reading it like if you have words on a website that's available for everybody to read but usually in conversation so when you're speaking that's a more personal relationship So I think you have to adjust and respond to that communication that you're in right there and then. And um, I it is and it is difficult. And I think you just have to fine tune it by experience. So when I'm at an art fair, I would practice, honestly, like I talk to myself out loud on the way there to the show. Because words that sound okay written down sound like a load of nonsense sometimes actually coming out of your mouth. So you've got to feel okay saying it. And it's that's just like almost any presentation thing. You know, stand in front of a mirror and say it a few times until it feels right. And if it doesn't feel right, then you've just got to twist the words a little bit. But I also have some key things that I write on one of those index cards in my back pocket. 
because occasionally you will have a conversation with someone and you think, oh, I just got that really right there. And then it's useful to have somewhere to write it down really quickly so you can practice and say it again. (laughs) One of the things I said when I was answering actually was walking around the art fair in Manchester, which is the last arty thing I went to. It was really interesting to see you... um, there was uh, Ian H. Williams. There were a couple of people, not that many, who were really good at talking about their work and who were therefore constantly engaged in conversation with other people. Mm. And then there were other booths that you walked by and you could just see that person felt shy and awkward about being there. And you therefore felt awkward about going into the booth. It was like, oh, okay, this doesn't feel very welcoming. Yeah, because you're not going to break the bubble, are you? By going yeah. in. Yeah. There was even one person sat with their back to looking at their paintings and their back to everyone with a book. So I was like, okay, I'm not going in there. Um, but wherever, and there were some other people talking, I just can't remember their names, but whenever you got to a booth where the artist was engaged and actively enthusiastically talking about their work without any sense of shame or inhibition or fear, people were crowded around wanting to talk to them. So you couldn't get to that person because there was mm. always someone there talking. And so this, what, what it made me think about was it was the authenticity. Cause I listened to some of those people talking. I stood back and just listened cause I couldn't get to speak to them myself. And it was enough. They were just being completely honest and authentic and describing exact as if they were talking to, I, I think of it like as if you're talking to your very best arty friend who never judges you and always encourages you and thinks you're fantastic. Um, that's what it, that's that. Then you have the the confidence. I think sometimes the lack of confidence comes from I want to say the right thing to get a result. I want to do mm-hmm. this either professionally. I want to look professional. I want to look like a real artist, or I want to make a sale, or I want something out of the interaction therefore I'm going to try and do it right whereas if you can just chat honestly exactly the truth because somebody said in the comments well what do I do if my work is purely intuitive and I never know what it's about well then you say that you say my work is really intuitive I don't know what it's about until it happens and then when it happens this magic thing happens where all of a sudden, da, 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 and that's when I know it's finished. And and the other the people listening, in my experience, will never judge or be negative. They're fascinated. They just go, oh, right, okay. Yeah, it's an inquiry, isn't it, then? They want to understand why. It's not about having uh, a patter. Yes, that's. I think mm-hmm. we feel like we need an elevator pitch. That's I hate that word hate those two words rather have an elevator pitch I think an elevator pitch can be can be useful I hate those words too and because it makes you think of a corporate office with people yeah it does you need an elevator in a suit I think it's different and that's useful for like if you just say you meet somebody and you're I mean it's an art fair you're standing in front of your own work the subject of the conversation is there you know that somebody's interested an elevator pitch is more useful if I don't know for me like you know you meet other parents at parents evening and they say what do you do and you say I'm an artist because you're not going to like lay it all on them first time you know I paint oh what do you paint well yeah that that 
getting that sentence that you say at that point, that's all an elevator. And you're not trying to sell anybody anything at that point. You're just trying to describe what you do in a way that somebody can either go, oh, that's really interesting and move on if they're not really interested at all. Yeah. Or give them enough so that if they are interested, they've got something to come back on. Um, but I think at an art at an art fair, it's different. And are we saying here that it's just really if you're a personality type, if you're a personality type that finds it really difficult, how do you how do you do it? Because I think you're right. If you're if you're genuinely excited and interested in your work, if you're talking about it. You can't help but have that enthusiasm, can you? Or can yeah. you? Well, the person who asked this question, I, I know I've heard her speak enthusiastically about her work because I've interviewed yeah. her in my group and I know that she can speak enthusiastically about it. But perhaps that's a safer space where you know everybody listening is going to be supportive. And perhaps what gets in the way is an element of judgment that we think is coming in. Mm. But I think I've the times I've felt self-conscious about speaking about my work is the times when I'm not sure about what I'm saying. Yeah. I've yeah. come up with something to say for something to say. And this is in the past when I wasn't that confident about my work, when I knew it wasn't what I wanted it to be. But it's still it's in an exhibition. I have to stand in front of it. I have to say something to people. So I've come up with a rationalization or an explanation that sounds good. And then I, f- I felt awkward. But nowadays, now that I'm much more connected to what I'm doing, like you say, I'm enthusiastic about it. But perhaps you can be, I'm just thinking, sorry, if perhaps you can be enthusiastic about it and still be doubtful that anyone else thinks it's worthwhile. Mm-hmm. So you might still not be able to feel like you can express that enthusiasm in case the person in front of you is thinking, right okay well that's funny because all I see are a bunch of blobs and I don't know what you're talking about how do you mentally deal with that possibility or does it not even cross your mind I think that that's the difference between a speech and a conversation like I don't ever have a problem in a conversation because the very fact that somebody is there and they want to engage. Now, how you start that conversation going when you pick up on those cues, is somebody just looking? Do they want to be left in peace? When are you talking too much to one person and there's somebody else over there that you need to talk about? How do you break free? All of those kind of things. But I think you just have to trust that if you're in a conversation with somebody they're genuinely interested and just remember that it's not just about you in that conversation it's about them so you know very often one of the things is it's not it's not about you don't don't feel that you have to stand and give a presentation on your on your work ask them about it you know what do you see have you had a look around do you have a favorite you know why why do you like this one so much let somebody else do the talking. I think that's a really great way to take the pressure off yourself a bit. Yes. Yeah. I think so too. I was just thinking back to the last time I've done this and thinking 
trying to remember if there were any awkward moments, but there really weren't because like you said, everyone that came, this was open studios. Everyone that came had a brochure and had picked from the brochure who they wanted to come to. Yeah. So I suppose worst case, they might have arrived and thought, oh no, it wasn't what I expected. They would probably have quietly left at that point and not engage with me. The ones who come over to talk to you are the ones who are genuinely interested. But the other thing is, like you just you just alluded to this, there are people who are genuinely interested, but they're very quietly standing in a corner because yeah. they're not confident and comfortable approaching you. Because hard as it is for us to imagine, to some people, you're intimidating. Mm. If they love your paintings, especially, you made all this amazing work and I'm standing here and I'm shy to come over mm. and speak to you, but I really secretly want to buy that one. Um, and so I think that is it was a challenge for me, learning how to approach people who I could see wanted to engage but were shy. Mm-hmm. And in that instance, I just I keep that really casual. I don't go over and say, let me tell you about the painting you're looking at. I made it. Da, 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 da. I go over and say, hi, are you OK? Have you found everything? There's a few paintings in the kitchen. Don't forget to go look there. And also just over that way. And let me know if there's anything you want. And then I don't just walk away. I stand for like a few seconds. And usually they'll say something they'll say I'm really enjoying it or they'll you just need to give an opening for that person to speak because otherwise and I'm speaking from experience as a shy person in the in my historical self I would leave without buying something rather than come up to you and start talking to you if you intimidate me I would actually leave yeah but if you make me welcome yeah if you made me feel I wouldn't anymore I'm not shy anymore but I would have in the past um, so I think that's important as well is remembering your place in the interaction and also remembering, I used to say this when I used to interview people, when people were going for a job, everyone's scared of a job interview, but in actuality, the person interviewing you wants you to be the best person for the job. They're praying that when you walk in, you're going to be fantastic because then they can stop interviewing anybody else and get back to their real job. And when you realize that they're on your side, they're rooting for you mostly. When you come in, they're rooting for you. And it's the same with the people approaching you about your art or wanting to talk to you about it. They love you already. They love what you're doing. So you don't have to be nervous among around them. It's like they're your, think of them as a, a potential fan club. Like they're your little fan club and they're there to see you and you're the star of the show and you get to lead the conversation not the other way around, but I think often we feel like, oh, I'll just stand here and someone will come up to me and then I'll see what they ask me. Yes, although I think almost if you can get your head out of the fact that you have to be the star of the show and turn it around the other way so that it's just about whoever is talking to you so like you don't because as soon as we feel like we've got to be the star of the show like that's a lot of pressure that we're putting on ourselves. and I think for one of one of the things that I've had to do quite consciously is you know I am generally pretty chatty quite gregarious I don't find my tendency is to talk too much and not leave enough spaces so I have to 
consciously kind of dampen myself down sometimes for some people to match them where they are and create that space so that they feel comfortable coming into it oh that's interesting whereas I always have to pet myself up yeah Yeah. Yeah. so it's just about understanding you know where you both are in that situation and there are some people and I think one of the other questions behind this is how much do I need to tell somebody about my work? How much and, and how much do they want to know? And what I've experienced over the years is that, you know, there is a huge range. Like some people want to know everything. They want to know everything. They want to know the deep meaning behind it. They need to know the practicalities. They want everything. They want to, you know, find out about, you know, all your family history and all of it. Other people can just be with it and just make a decision out of the blue like that. You can be talking about something else. They just make a decision about something as soon as you take yourself away from feeling like there has to be an outcome to the conversation yes yeah it just becomes it just becomes so much easier but there is a different level so I I know that you know there are some people who want to know all of that and I will tell them all of that if they're asking about it but other people they don't want to so I don't go into that much with them do you know what's funny that my two best collectors by which I mean the people who've bought the most amount of pieces from me neither of them seems to have the slightest interest in me talking about my work I just don't want to I try and offer bits of information because I think it personalizes the painting for them yeah don't care don't want to know just want to give me the money and take the painting no and you know that's fine too but it's it's I find it fascinating because I'm the one who would want to know well what kind of brushes and what's your process and how do you get inspired and and what was the meaning behind this and why did you choose that title I'm fascinated by all of that but yeah some people are not they just want the painting yeah and then you you just get these blank emails sometimes from somebody or sometimes even a text message or that pink one is it available I'll have it please it's just like okay that was easy so yeah we can we can make it harder than it needs to be I think but there is a lot of understanding you know your your own personality in this but I think also recognizing that you know there are going to be situations where if it's if it's new for you so having said don't prepare a pitch I I still say don't prepare a pitch but if you feel that it's something that's uncomfortable for you do practice saying it out loud saying things out loud yeah you know talk to yourself like you know pretend the dog's sitting in the corner and you're explaining it to just get used to saying the words because I think very often the words and our feelings about our work are in our head and it's just literally setting up that flow between what's in our head and the words that come out of the mouth you yeah know? <laughs> yeah and, and that part we need to practice maybe I think there's another aspect to this which is when you haven't yet thought through clearly enough for yourself mm-hmm. what it's about mm-hmm. and and I don't think that's the case with the person who asked the question but it often is the case so you haven't thought through what you want to say in your work or what it's about or why you're making it yet and then somebody asks you and you haven't got the words to practice because you haven't done that work and I do think you have to do that work mm. which for me is jotting down notes and mm-hmm. often it often it's actually my blog or my newsletter or somewhere where I'm writing for other people 
that the ill pop out and I think oh yeah that's that's what I want to say about that yeah. but sometimes it's talking to you on here sometimes it's talking to myself on a dog walk um which I do do because I'm in the middle of nowhere and no one knows <laughs> but you've got to know and I think that's where my insecurity came from in the early days when people would ask me because I didn't really know I'm doing it because I enjoy it and because something in me says to do this but I don't yet know what it's about or why I'm making this particular thing or um and that's something I know you've done a lot of work on over the years Mm. like it's a big part of your process to make notes and journal Mm. and do that kind of thing I do think that's important and I don't think you can skip past that. No, and I think there's another element too, which is the which is is why I I think that maybe, you know, conversations, you know, are very different from when you're writing and it's a one-way street, like on a on a website. Yes, when you're writing for emails or things, you're going through that process of understanding it yourself. But what also often happens in conversations is other people reflect things back to you. And that can be very illuminating because they can bring something into the game, which is like my favorite part of this. <laughs> one of my favorite parts of this is when somebody else kind of completes it for you. It's like you've done the work of making the painting and then there might be a comment that somebody else makes or how they see it. And you either think, yes, that's it. You've nailed it better than I can. That's why it's useful to have a little piece of card in your back pocket because when they leave, you can scribble it down and think, yeah, 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 I've got that. But also sometimes people say things and you think, oh no, that's not it. You know, if that's what it is for you, that's cool. But that's not what it is for me at all. And I think we know that very strongly. So when we get those kind of responses back, A or B, we know, yeah, no. And that can also be another part of it that I think is quite helpful. So that my question to you, because you've done a lot of art fairs now, mm. what is give us some opening gambits. How do you approach somebody? Let's say I've walked into your booth and I'm wandering around looking at things and I'm the only person there. W- what is a conversational gambit? Because I said I would say, oh, have you seen the paintings in the kitchen? Because I do it in my house. So, you know, I can say, have you been in this room, that room? But you can't do that at an art fair. So what do you say to start the conversation? Uh, quite often, uh, is it the first time you've been to this fair? So something very non-personal. Ah, good. So I don't feel like I have to make a comment about your paintings if I don't want to. No. Yeah. No. Have you been all the way around yet? Yeah. No, I've just arrived. This is the first one. And then somebody might, you know, they might say that or they say, oh yeah, I've been all the way around. Actually, I came around before and I've come back to look at yours. That's why it's a conversation because then they're giving you, you you know, where they are in the process of their relationship with your work at that point without going, which one do you like? Are you going to buy? Yeah. (laughs) So you're going to buy it then? (laughs) I have to say, though, there is a point for saying, so are you going to buy it then? There is a time and a place for that. I don't know if I've got actually that much nerve. I'm very impressed if you can do that. And and I think you can say it in different ways. And I have literally, for some people, where you've built up a little bit of a slightly maybe cheeky repartee with them a bit, there have been times in the past then where I have literally said, so are you going to buy it? You know, so are you going to buy it then? Is it decision time? Come on. Yeah, that's a good you know, one. And then it's quite fun and they go, oh, go on then. Yeah, you know, I really want to. You know, for other people, that would be like punching them in the face. <laughs> like you can't do that. But that, I 
that's one of the reasons why I like doing art fairs because I quite enjoy gauging what that is for somebody for some you know some people need to be it's you know it's a big deal buying a piece of art you know particularly a big small ones yeah fine but but even then actually you know it's something that you you can't push this is one thing I know you absolutely cannot ever push somebody into buying a piece of art they don't want ever 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 I mean you you just can't do it in fact I think you can push them away Mm. I think you can push people away from luxury purpose purchases by seeming too eager Mm -hmm. there's a subtle psychological thing that goes on when you're buying like a luxury item where you want to feel like it's in demand. And um, if you feel like they're a bit desperate, mm-hmm. that's telling you, mm, maybe it's not worth as much as I thought it was worth because they seem a bit eager to sell it. And one of my favorite things, only if it's true, but I'll say at open studios is, oh yeah, that one's been really popular. Everyone's been liking that one. That seems to be getting a lot of attention, which subtly says, if you want it, you better cough up now because somebody else is going to take it without saying that. Yeah. Because if you're not interested, that won't mean anything to you. And if you are interested, it will just trigger some thoughts about hmm, if that's been popular, maybe we should have a conversation and see if we want to buy it. But there is a lot going on about the messages that we, it's just exactly, I think, like dating. Like, not that I can barely remember what that's like. But if you seem really, really, really keen on the first date, you are going to frighten the other person (laughs) off because, okay, there's too much neediness here. And it can be the same with somebody Mm. selling me something. That's why we don't like going in second-hand car showrooms and having people come running over to us and start trying to push things on us. But if you went to a very high-end car showroom, which I have never done, but I would imagine that they've got a very different, um approach and a way of acting almost as if you're lucky to be in the you know if you want to buy a car they're here if you don't they're not but they'll be they won't be doing that they'll be subtly selling you not in your face so the higher the value the item and the more luxury it is the more I think you've got to feel like you made the decision but there are things we can do to inch them in that direction yeah. And again, I think it's about being responsive and being personal. So I thinking of examples of what I might actually say, if you could, if somebody has been around for a while and you've had a chat and then they're looking and they're standing, you can kind of tell, you know, they put their head on one side or they're still looking and, you know, there's a period of time at which you want to leave them on their own to think about it. But there is almost that point at which you need to open it up as an invitation and 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 just because for that for a lot of people even if they know they want it like you say for them to say okay yes please I'd like to buy this one it's really hard it's really hard to say whereas if you can say to them something like you've been looking at that one a while is there something about that one or you know, you've been looking at a what, tell me what you're thinking. And then they'll say, well, you know, maybe it's one for my bedroom, but I was actually thinking of looking for something that had more blue in it, or, you know, I'm not sure if it's going to be there, or there's another painting that's alongside it. Or sometimes people have photos on their phone of the space that they're looking for. And again, you can't force somebody into buying something that's not right for them. But if you say, oh, you know, what else is in that room or you know, tell me about what kind of art you like. And then they start talking. Very often they just talk, they just, 
they're just looking for an excuse to talk themselves into it. Yes, I had a a really good example of that where a lady was really obviously loving my paintings and really interested in one, but she was obviously doubtful. And it turned out in conversation that she had a room in her house that only had the work of one artist in it. And she loved that artist and it was somebody local to us. And she felt like she couldn't uh, sully that room with someone else's work. Like it would be disrespectful, I think, to that person. Mm And it turned out to be someone I'm a huge fan of and I knew personally as well. So we spoke about him and then um, at some point later on, she came and said, I think I'm going to take that one. And then she sent me a picture of it in the room with his paintings. Mm, Nice. But it was like, if I hadn't asked, perhaps she may have got over that anyway, but I don't think so. If Mm. we hadn't had the conversation where we connected about that person and a genuine connection, not a fake one, then I don't think that would have happened. Yeah, and sometimes it can be practical things. Like I've had conversations with people before and they're like, yeah, I'd really like it, but I can't, you know, I can't take it now or it won't fit in the car. with it. And you can say, well, where are you? And I'll drop it on the way back. Or somebody saying, I'd really like it, but we've got building works going on. If I buy it now, can you keep it and send it to us in two months time? Or, yeah, you know, and they don't want to ask because it feels like a big ask. But would you do that? Of course you would, you know, so it's not always a great big, you know, emotional. Sometimes it's something that's really simple. And that conversation is a little nudge. I've got this, I don't think I've said about this painting before, but I've got a painting that got away from me. It's a painting I should have bought when I saw it at Open Studios a few years ago. It was, it felt too expensive to us. It was a big painting. It was a lot of money and we didn't have any savings and it, we did think about it and then we left without buying it. And uh, funnily enough, a year or two later, I went to a, another open studios in a nearby town and the lady had it. The artist had my painting in her kitchen. I was like, oh my God, that's my painting. And I regretted it again when I saw it. But what, why I'm telling that story is at no point in that open studios, when I stood in front of that painting, did the artist come over and talk to me? And mm. I think if he had come over, well, Phil was with me. So if he'd come over and spoken to both of us, I think he would have nudged us mm. into putting it on a credit card, mm. which probably isn't great, but I think he would have because we wanted it so much. But we talked ourselves common sense out of it in the time it he could have come and engaged and not sold us, but just told us the inspiration mm. and how it was made and why he loved it so much. I think if that had have happened, I think we would have come out with that painting. Yeah. That's why it's important. That's why it's important for us to get over this discomfort, which I feel like I don't like. Alice is much more comfortable with it than I am. I don't like standing there in front of my paintings and waiting for people to come in. But I don't mind it once I get going, because as you say, it's a conversation and it's enjoyable. and, And you get lots of lovely feedback and and it feels nice. But I do wake up on the morning of something like that thinking oh right g myself up be a different kind of person smile a lot more than I normally do you know all of that um but it is it does make a huge difference and I think in a large number of sales not to be selling but just to be open to a conversation yeah so What's inspired then? I've given you Juliette Binoche, which quite frankly cannot be beaten. 
<laughs> so I put initials down for my What's Inspired and Alice was asking me, what does that mean? GS slash CTW slash TE. Yeah, so, so it's a really bad kind of wordle. <laughs> I was painting the other day. I did have a bit of painting time and I always listen to the same music while I'm painting. The 80s, indie, Smiths, Talking Heads, stuff I used to like or... All the same stuff. So I thought, what can I listen to? Oh, I know. It's decades since I listened to the Beatles. And they've been on my mind since the Get Back documentary. Mm. But when I was about 11, 12, I was a massive Beatles fan. They'd already broken up and were history, but I became a big Beatles fan. Love, love, love them. But I listened to their songs so many times that I, I felt like I never wanted to listen to them again in my life. <laughs> like I've had enough. I don't need to listen. But I put on Abbey Road, which was their very last album. And it is amazing. It was it was playing. And then as I was working, I was thinking, God, this is good. God, I'm really enjoying this. And the very last three songs on that album, it's a medley. Uh, Golden Slumbers, Carry That Weight and The End. And they're actually listed as a medley. And this is so perfect. The very last song they ever recorded, even though they didn't know they were breaking up, is called The End. And it features a drum solo and a guitar solo from each of the three of them. And it ends with the line, and in the end, the love you make is equal to the love you take. And so it's a perfect ending to a band. But the build-up to that, the golden slumbers, the carry that way, the end... When it finished, I went, oh, like that was absolutely creatively perfect without uh, anything. And funnily enough, I think all those songs are Paul McCartney songs and he was not my favorite Beatle, but kudos to him because it's amazing. And that line, in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. Uh, John Lennon, apparently when they were not getting on very well, said, Oh, that's what that just proves that when he wants to, he can think. So, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely brilliant. So, I recommend to anybody go listen to Abbey Road and especially those last three th- songs. And even if you think Beatles, ooh, oh, I love the Beatles. Go. I love the brilliant. Beatles, but I have a really bad Beatles admission, which is that I just, I, I'm not very good album listener because I inherited them from my parents, if you like. And um, we just used to listen to like best of. Yeah. I so I've never best. listened to Abbey Road, so I will be going to do that now. Oh, it's a fantastic experience. It's got just it, just forgive Maxwell's Silver Hammer because nobody needs to have that song. <laughs> OK. Apart from that. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like one of those ones that you could skip over. But actually, isn't that quite reassuring to know that even the Beatles have a song that you'd be happy to skip over? Even that's quite nice, isn't it, really? Um, I just want to leave with this quote from the film then, which is, each artist makes the world his or her own and in doing so elevates it. And in doing that, elevates us. Sometimes when we all think, why are we doing this? That's quite nice. Yes, it is. So that was an uplift. I've been looking for an uplifting film or series that's not about scams or swindles or people at the edge of their tether or dealing drugs or all of that kind of stuff. I did enjoy inventing Anna, though. I did really enjoy inventing Anna. (laughs) Um, What is it called again, this film? 
It's called Words and Pictures, and you can find it on Amazon Prime. It's not a Netflix thing. It's an Amazon Prime thing. So it was £3, very well spent. Thank you very much for listening. We hope this week finds you well. And we love it when you share the podcast on Instagram. It is amazing how many people are still uh, just finding us for the first time. We feel like we've been here for a long time, rabbiting on. And we, I still get messages from people that say, I've just found you. And now I'm just kind I mean, of you know, gorging out since the beginning. Um, so, yeah, we're still finding new people, which is which is lovely. So you sharing uh, is what really helps with that. So thank you so much. Um, and the other thing that really helps is leaving reviews so wherever you're listening to this podcast there will be a place where you can leave a review and that is always much appreciated um yes it helps people find us but it also lifts us up when we're having crappy days too <laughs> so that's it from us we will see you again uh, next week if you have any uh ideas for topics or subjects you would like us to talk about let us know you can either send us a dm on instagram i am at alice sheridan studio and louise is at louise fletcher underscore art and on both our websites we have a podcast page so you can find our websites by googling our names and we have a podcast page and on that page there is a space where you can submit a question and we check those when we're looking for new podcast topics to talk about have a very happy week everybody and let's hope this one is a good one bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.